Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Liar. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me. And all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg, joined as always by my college basketball partner in crime, Bill Christie. You know him as Lucia Larry on gambling Twitter at Larry's Locks Two. Bill, here we are. The tournament has finally arrived as we're finishing up the first four tonight. Right as we record, UCLA and Michigan State in a game that looks to be pretty competitive. Uh, it just feels good to be in the middle of March with a full slate, no pun intended, of games on Friday. On Saturday, a little bit, 24 hours later, but hey, we didn't get a tournament at all last year, so I don't mind waiting another 24 hours. No, yeah, I'm not complaining about waiting until Friday instead of the Thursday start, but yeah, thank God we made it. Thank God that, um, you know, I guess it was like 99% or so tests of all these folks that are out there in Indianapolis came back negative, and all the teams are in place, we're ready to go, hopefully, you know, continues throughout the uh Throughout the tournament, throughout the end of the month, and into April for the uh, finals, the Final Four and championship with um, with no COVID issues. But, uh, yeah, like you said, it's been a long wait, two years in the waiting almost, it feels yeah. like. We're finally here. So I'm excited for tomorrow, excited to get these games going. You know, the first four today, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but this never really feels like a tournament for me. The first yeah, four games completely are completely like, Well, yeah, I, one, of, like, one of my friends brought up a good point, and honestly I never even thought about this because – the 
uh, two of the other playing games are always between 16s. But then you remember that those teams are auto bids, and he said that it's kind of not fair to those teams that they're auto qualifiers and they have to play in the first four. Uh, and I never really thought of that, but obviously, you know, the other two first four games are between the last four teams in the field, uh, you know, as at-large bids. And honestly, the more I thought about it, the more I kind of agreed with them. Like, the losers of the uh, 16 seed games kind of get shafted. No, I agree with that. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing, uh, well, I guess, like the last eight in – if they're all 11 seeds and have all the 11 seeds. Just have, right, or just play two games. And yeah. You yeah. play Michigan State and Drake and Wichita State every year. So just just my two cents there, but I'm totally with you. I mean, uh, even when they first – because, I mean, gosh, when didn't, wasn't, didn't they used to have just 16 playing games and they didn't have the, the 11 playing games? Wasn't there a time where they just had those? I think so. Right. Yeah, I think for like a year or two. Yeah. I remember it used to be nothing, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was always three days of no tournament games. And then I believe at a certain point they went to one 16-seed game on Tuesday and another 16-seed game on Wednesday. And then obviously different this year, but in normal years since, we've seen the one 16 game and the one 11 game on a Tuesday and then the same thing on the Wednesday. So – it's interesting how that's kind of evolved, and now we have, obviously, those extra four at-large bids. But, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that it's been two years. Now I remember I was out here in Minnesota. I went to the Final Four uh, at U.S. Bank Stadium down in Minneapolis. I was at the uh, semifinals, so the uh, Kyle Guy, three free throws to win it for UVA against Auburn. Went to that one, and that was pretty crazy. Just, I mean, I had a, you know, I was in the nosebleed, so... I thought, oh, my God, Auburn's getting hosed. And then as you look at the replay, it was definitely a foul. Um, right. You know, and then obviously was had a, a little bit disappointed by how, I mean, it wasn't a blowout, but Texas Tech in that second national semifinal I was at against Michigan State really um, uh, was impressive and it really felt like they were in control of the game there. It's funny uh, as we're watching Michigan State right now in the first four, but for whatever reason, Izzo uh, just hasn't been able to get it done in the national semifinal round. He's got that one national championship, but that's kind of been his bugaboo, that national semifinal in his career. So did you know this, Bill? I found this to be crazy. I heard this this week. Uh, for as much as we talk about how good the Big Ten has been, uh, Michigan State's title in 2000 is the last national champion to come out of the conference. Yeah, I think I saw that same thing. That kind of shocked me a bit, too. Yeah, it's... It's wild. You know, you've had a lot of teams out of the conference since then make the championship game. Ohio State losing to Florida in 2007, Wisconsin losing to Duke in 2015, Michigan made it in 2013 against Louisville, and in 2018 against Villanova. Yeah. There might be somebody I'm forgetting there, but, um, you know, and, and I mentioned all those national semifinals that Izzo's lost. It's just weird to think that a conference that – you know, maybe it's not as always as deep as it was this year. Oh, Illinois, there you go, against uh, Sean right. May back in 0405, the Luther Head, D. Brown, Darren Williams team. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's crazy that they've obviously still been very as competitive as the league has been, and now we're over two decades without a champion from the Big Ten. That is that is pretty crazy. A buddy of mine, actually, I want to ask you this. He asked me for my top five uh, March Madness moments that I can remember in my lifetime. And he's like, you know, you might not have time to do this. And I don't know why, but I was able to rattle him off to him 
pretty quickly. So if you can, if you can think of maybe not your top five, but at least a, a couple of the top moments from your uh, March Madness viewing, <laughs> what would you put up there? Yeah, well, uh, I can remember a crazy game. And, and again, like I'd have to honestly sit down and try and order this. But off the top of my head, I, you know, kind of because we were just talking about the, you know, first decade of the 2000s there with some of those Big Ten teams that went to the national championship game. I can remember a real crazy Sweet 16 game with UCLA and Gonzaga when uh, Adam Morrison was right there with Reddick as the national player of the year. I want to say it was 06. Gonzaga was kicking their ass in the first half, and UCLA made this crazy comeback. And I remember Gus Johnson calling the game, and Gonzaga had a three-quarter court heave pass, and uh, kid for Gonzaga had a turnaround jumper to try and win it, and UCLA ended up winning by one. It was like a 20, 30-point lead for Gonzaga at various points in the first half. So that one I can obviously – I just remember that, that regional semifinal being pretty nuts. Speaking of regional semifinals, uh, Kansas State and, ba- and Butler, I remember being crazy with Denny Clemente and Jacob Pollan leading that K-State team. Um, and uh, or uh, Did I say Butler? Uh, Kansas State and Xavier, excuse me. Um, Butler was who they played in the next game, and Butler won. That was one of those Butler runs to the national championship game with Stevens coaching, and uh, Jordan Crawford hit an, a ridiculous shot um, from, I mean, it was way beyond the NBA three-point line to tie the game. I think it ended up going three overtimes, maybe two, but that was another really good Sweet 16 game. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, Bill, I mean, and maybe I don't know if you had any uh, national semifinals or championship games offhand. I mean, the Texas Tech Virginia game for you know everybody was kind of trashing it because we didn't have any big NBA prospects or you know Texas Tech had kind of made its first run and Virginia was obviously not the flashiest of teams, but that ended up being a really good national championship. I'm trying to think of the best national championship game. That well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'll be biased and say it's the. The Bill, Nova Bill. UNC in 16. Yeah, I mean, that to me, that's number one as far as moments. The, the page the hit the shot. And, and the shot that nobody ever really talks about is uh, is Marcus Page before that. Right. The double clutch. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that that was crazy. And then, again, another biased one for me was Scotty, Ren- Scotty Reynolds against Pitt. Where he oh, made yeah, yeah, sure. In the, in the lane. Yeah, that, that's up there. Um, the Southwest Philly floater while we're talking Big Five. Ty Garland for – yeah. LaSalle, that was a big-time shot. That was a good one, and another big one, obviously, is Florida Gulf Coast, probably because I was there. That, that was just unbelievable to watch. It was the last yeah. game of the night. And last of the night at Wells Fargo. I rem- yeah. I was at that game. That was a fun yeah. one. Yeah, that was that was the other one for me. And then I have, like, two ones. I don't know if you were even alive yet for it. <laughs> but uh, the Tyus Sedney play where he went the length of the court, I think that was the first March Madness buzzer beater I watched live. So that, like, is, you know, burned into my memory forever. Um, and I can't think now off the top of my head what my fifth one was, but, I mean, just, just rattling off those ones and thinking I about think that. as much as I, – I hope you can agree, even as a Nova guy with the shot from Jenkins in 2016, if Hayward's shot goes in in 2010, that's the best one ever. Like, half oh. order. yeah. Or, yeah. For Butler, the Cinderella, you know, to to beat Duke. I mean, that was. I mean, that yeah. was really. Oh, and, and I mean, gosh, like, I, I my heart stopped after because because of how close it was. I just remember, like, he, he you know, he basically. I, I'm sure he felt he made it when he when he was watching it, you know, head, head towards the basket. So, 
but yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, uh, if I, if I sat down and, and, and really ran through it a little more, I'd probably uh, come up with some that I missed, but, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm sure we'll, yeah, I mean, and the best thing is just watching the one shining moment video every year, you know, because you can Google those and probably remember some games. I mean, gosh, I remember that Kentucky run. They didn't win. That was when Shabazz and UConn won in 2014, but Aaron Harrison made every big shot. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it just mm-hmm. came down late. It was like they played Louisville in the Sweet 16 and then Michigan in the regional final and Wisconsin in the national semifinal. And he kept making big shot after big shot after big shot in all those games. And even before that, they played Wichita State in a crazy 1-8 game. Wichita State had gone into the tournament uh, undefeated. I'll ask you a real quick question before we get started. Uh, and you might not come up with this off the top of your head, but you put me on the spot. So now I'm <laughs> going to put you on the spot. The last uh, since 2000, there have been two uh, schools that had the coach of the year and the national player of the year in the same season. You, can you name them? Oh, uh, probably not, no. So it was uh, the St. Joe Hawks in their undefeated okay. season with Jameer and Phil. That makes sense, okay. Jameer Nelson and Phil Martelli. And then it was last year. Unfortunately, there was no tournament, but Obi Toppin at Dayton and Anthony Grant was the national coach of the year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're two teams that I would not have been thinking of at right. all. Right, yeah, para A-10 wow. teams. I mean, uh, yeah. it happened in the 90s with uh, Duke, with Leitner and Kay and – in the late 80s, Danny Manning won the National Player of the Year, and Larry Brown was the coach of the year at Kansas. Um, but, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I thought about that, too, when I was looking that up. Uh, I think and, – and I remembered, like, you know, I think Dayton was the team I felt the most for last year, and, and they're not in the tournament this year. And I, I just remember thinking, damn, you know, this is a mid-major. Toppin was the Player of the Year. And, you know, Grant's an alum at Dayton. I think he'll get the program uh, to a respectable level. I mean, it's not like oh, they yeah. were bad this year, but... Um, well, they bring I, everybody back, I think, right? Excuse me? I'm pretty sure they bring everybody back, or and right. they have, like, one of the best recruiting classes coming in. So, yeah, they'll... Yeah, they'll so I definitely think they'll be back. And, obviously, the A-10 is not super daunting. But I remember... I don't know if you disagree. I mean, obviously, San Diego State was really good as well, and it kind of looked like the year of the mid-major. But... Uh, Dayton was the team that I really felt the most pain and suffer for as far as not having a tournament last year. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. Anytime you see a team like that that's just been red hot throughout the entire season and, you know, a team that you don't typically see uh, making deep runs in the tournament prime for a one seed and, you know, a deep run in it, it, it was. It, I felt bad for them too. But, hey, again, we can't control that. All we can control is what's going on in front of us now and, we got the tournament back, so let's get it. It is back, and let's dive in as we'll try and move through our picks relatively quickly. We don't want to keep you too long as you listen on a Friday morning, knowing that the games are right around the corner. We're going to divide this up with uh, some Friday action first and then into the Saturday games. Let's get started with Bill. Ironically enough, the second game of the tournament, uh, it's Colgate taking on Arkansas. Colgate, rotation number 735, Arkansas 736. Total in this game sitting at 160.5, and and you're going to back the 14-seed Colgate. I was going to say their nickname, but I'll be honest, I'm not on this game, so I don't know what it is. First thing I think of, excuse me? I was going to say, I think they're the Bears or... (laughs) I'll look it up. The first thing I think of when I hear Colgate is toothpaste and not the school. So, oh, okay. <laughs> and I don't mean that as a slight. They are the Raiders, so there you go. You're on them, and you didn't even know. There we um, go. There we anyway, go. 
You like Colgate. I'm seeing eight and a half now. I'm not sure what number you're you got though. Yeah, I got after my guys at nine and a half early, but you know, with this, it's it's tough to you know put that out there to these guys now because obviously the lines are going to be changing um, as we go here. But and the one thing I want to say before we start with all these tournament games, and you know, a lot of you guys that are listening now, hopefully, have been listening uh, throughout the season, and you know, Greg and I do as good a job as we possibly can as far as deep diving into this stuff. But at the end of the day, this is March and anything can happen. And this game kind of is one of those things that uh, it's a matchup where I really, really like because the fact that Colgate is a team that can really shoot the ball well from deep. And not only do they shoot the ball well from deep, they are the number one defensive team against the three as well, which puts a different wrinkle into this game for me. I really like Colgate here getting the points I do, I do like, I don't know about you, Greg, I do a bunch of different brackets. I don't do the, you know. Oh, no. Sorry. I get off on Sorry. this. I cannot stand the multi-bracket people. Have to. Have to. If there's money to be made out there, I'm going to put out some different oh, no, I, I go all in. I'll play ten pools with the same bracket. If I'm winning, I'm winning big. No, how many have you won? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. Don't let facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> but, no, but, no, honestly, like, this is. This is one of those matchups where, you know, in at least one hey, of my... This has worked for you? Like... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And there's different years where, like, sometimes I'll just... I'll try and keep my Final Four all intact, but I'll do different combinations of upsets early on. That's what's like that is when you just try and have a conversation with your buddy. Oh, what's your Final Four? Well, in this bracket, and then in this bracket, and then <laughs> it takes you 20 minutes to answer what your Final Four is. Uh, I t- get back get back to me when the Elite Eight's going on. I'll tell you exactly who my Final Four is. <laughs> um, but this Colgate team, I'm saying, they can shoot from deep. They don't turn the ball over. They're fifth in the country in turnover percentage. Um, this is a, this is a matchup where again I I definitely have at least one of my brackets with Colgate pulling the outright upset over these guys. Um, again, I'm not super confident to the point where I'm going to play them on the money line, but nine and a half just seems to be too much for a team that can shoot the ball this well from three. They shoot the ball decent from the free throw line as well, which again we always talk about with our underdogs. We like to have that in our back pocket. Um, and with a nine and a half point spread that I got, even at the eight and a half. I mean, this game could be a 15-point game, and two shots later, all of a sudden, you're inside the number because these guys can shoot so, so well. Um, you know, Arkansas has some decent defense. Overall, they're 14th in the country and adjusted a defensive efficiency. But, you know, nothing else out there really looks, when I look at it, really screams out to me like, all right, well, Arkansas just run away with this. And the fact the line is still in single digits uh, kind of proves my point, I feel like. So, yeah, I would, I'll be taking a dog here, getting the points. Um not much else I can go into as to why I'm on it, but you know I do like the fact that it did drop from nine and a half to eight and a half since I've taken it. Um, but again, I'm going to be staying away from the money line on this one, just playing the points. Yeah, and I'm not going to have a play here. I'd lean to Colgate though as well. Uh, you kind of mentioned some of the positives with Colgate free throw shooting, obviously something that we always like. Um, but also, I think that. Uh, and I'll get more into this uh, when it comes to Alabama, but I'll be curious to see how these two SEC teams that were kind of the class of the league this year do uh, in the tourney because for both of them, it really is kind of uncharted territory as far as being seated this high. Uh, this is Musselman's first trip to the tournament with Arkansas, so, you know, obviously he hasn't been there that long, but the point remains that, uh, you know, those the Razorbacks, now a lot of these kids haven't been to the tournament, and, and it's kind of their first, uh, you know, 
first go around here. And, and not only is it their first time, but there's a lot of expectations here for the Razorbacks. So, uh, you know, I, I, it wouldn't shock me if Colgate pulled the up, outright upset just on that alone. I feel like, you know, so often we forget we're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids and uh, all year long, uh, particularly now, maybe a little less so as the season wore on, but particularly in the early parts of the year, you know, I'm not sure how many people were eyeing up Arkansas as a team that was going to make a deep run. And now you look at this draw for them, and it certainly, I think, is pretty favorable for them to get to the second weekend, uh, Colgate, and then probably Texas Tech um, in in the second game. So I do think there could be a little bit of, uh, you know, Arkansas not ready to play and, and, and just kind of a little fat and happy. Uh, even though they didn't win the SEC tournament, they did lose to LSU. Uh, I, something tells me, again, this spot, I, I would not want to rush to the window to lay points with an Arkansas team that, as I said, for a lot of these kids, you know, I don't want to say kind of came out of nowhere, but they did kind of uh, surprise some people. I don't know. Did you think Arkansas would be this no. good, Bill? And no. that's my point. Like, you know, I don't think a lot of people had Arkansas as a three seed coming into the beginning of the tournament, sure. in, in the NCAA tournament. So now here they are in this spot. Um, you know, I question anytime I see a team like that in a spot like this for the first time in the tournament, I'm much more inclined to fade them uh, at this kind of price point than back them. So um, I definitely would lean to Colgate. I want to move on and go to another game on the Friday portion of the first round slate. Uh, and that is uh, going to be, for me, actually, and also one of the earlier games in the rotation. I'm going to look to the former national or former uh, NCAA runner-up, the defending runner-up, and that's the Texas Tech Red Raiders, rotation number 734, laying the four points against Utah State, total in this game of 131.5. Uh, plain and simple here, I, I think this is, a get, uh, if we can call it a get-right spot here for Texas Tech. Um, as they lost a very close game against Texas. Um, and I think you're getting them kind of cheap here, only having to lay four. Uh, they, I mentioned that loss they had against Texas. They also had a double-digit loss against Baylor um, at the end of the regular season. Um, and that Texas game was their first game in the Big 12 tournament. So they've had to stew on not ending the season the best in the Big 12, but as we've talked about a lot the last couple of weeks, certainly no shame in uh, losing to Baylor and Texas in the Big 12. Kind of underrated, and I think that is also part of why I like this year. I think if you're giving me a Big 12 team in the tournament, and again, this is what separates the Big 12, I think, from the Big 10. The Big 10, you have your Maryland's and your Rutgers, and right now we're seeing Michigan State, where you have double-digit seeds, and you're not really sure if they're actually teams that could make a run. You could very easily see them lose their first game. Big 12, on the other hand, certainly feels more top-heavy, and that's kind of what I'm getting at here with my pick of Texas Tech. Utah State, obviously, um, you know, didn't even win the national, uh, the Mountain West Conference tournament against uh, San Diego State. Uh, and now, again, I only have to give four points with a Texas Tech team that obviously went to the national championship game. They've been there. I know there's some stuff about Chris Beard in Indiana. I'm not that worried about the focus. I like the Red Raiders, uh, as I said, just to kind of get right here. They were playing pretty well before that loss to Baylor. They clobbered Iowa State, beat TCU by 20, and they beat Texas for the second time in the regular season at the end of February. So I think the Red Raiders are primed to get right here. As I said, they've had to stew on a couple of losses for about 10 days now, March 7th 
was that game against Baylor, and then the Texas game was their first game in the Big 12 tournament last Thursday on March 11th. Uh, so, you know, a program that has had had a lot of recent success coming into the tournament, having lost a couple games, one of them very close against Texas, uh, makes a lot of sense for me. I'm getting a Big 12 team, I think, at a cheap price point here against a Mountain West team. I know the Big 12 team has played the better schedule. I'm going to lay the four with Texas Tech. Oh, man, I wish you the best of luck, but that game absolutely terrifies me. You, know, you, keep, okay. saying, you keep saying the good price, the good price, and, yeah, you could be right. Like, Texas so just think it's way too short, then, is what you're saying. Yeah, the way too, yeah it feels way too short to me. Um, man, I saw it open at four and a half. It only took down a half a point, um, but it just doesn't make sense to me. I feel like this Texas Tech team should be much more of a favorite in this game. Again, I'm staying away from it. I hope I hope I'm wrong in my feeling, and I hope you're right in your handicap in Texas Tech. You know, I'm assuming that if you're not that high on on Arkansas, did you put Texas Tech through to the second weekend? What's that? I said just for bracket purposes, and I know you have a million of them, but <laughs> if you're not that high on Arkansas, did you put Texas Tech through to the second weekend? I did. Yes. You did. Okay. Yeah, well, so I, I suppose that's a good segue then, because uh, I am very optimistic as far as where San Diego State could go, um, but I really don't feel good about their game here. So I'm curious, your handicap, you're going to lay the short number. It looks like three right now against Syracuse, total of 139. I'll let you start, and then I'll kind of give you some of my concerns. But go ahead, um, you like the Aztecs. Don't worry, I'm, I'm plenty concerned as well. It, <laughs> it, it does seem a bit short. However, when, you, when I'm looking at this game, I put it in perspective the fact that you're going to have a lot of casual betters playing all these games for the most part, right? Because it's March Madness. It's the thing to do. Um, and yeah, I, games on all day. Yeah, and if I put Syracuse and San Diego State in front of a casual better and say, who do you think the better team is? Without looking at anything else but the names, they're going to, they're going to say Syracuse because that's right. a blue blood type of program that people know. Um, so I think that plays a role a little bit into that, as well as just Syracuse playing, you know, a decent little run there in the ACC tournament. Um, so I think there's a little bit of recency bias with them. San Diego State, not many people have followed them throughout the year. You know, they play in a, in a conference that's not a major conference. Um, but, you know, it opened at two, went up to three. Um, I like the fact that that happened. I like the fact that uh, San Diego State is – 44th in the country in offensive efficiency, but I like more so they're 11th in the country in defensive efficiency. We all know Syracuse plays the zone. San Diego Street, San, sorry, San Diego State uh, does like to shoot the ball from deep. They're 28th in the country. They shoot almost 38% from three, but I don't think it's going to come down to that. I think what's going to come down to is they got the big Syracuse. It's not the normal Syracuse zone. They got small guards. If they get the bigs inside and, and they're able to just keep keep going into that instead of just falling in love with the three, I think San Diego State will have their way with them. However, if San Diego State comes out and just wants to fire from deep all game long, they could be in trouble. I'm just going to play San Diego State because I think the line is low because of the recency bias at Syracuse, and I like San Diego State. I like San Diego State to make a decent run, to be honest, in the tournament. So it's got to start here. I'll take a minus three. Yeah, I certainly hope you're right, and I like San Diego State to make a nice run as well. I put them all the way through to the regional final in this bracket, um, but I will admit my concerns, and, and you didn't raise them as much, um, but uh, it's, it's twofold. First off, the recent history for Syracuse, and I know it's different players, but 
I think there's something to Bayheim in this spot with a little less pressure, seemingly. I mean, even in the ACC tournament, we saw them take UVA right down to the wire, and that was another game that I remember we were talking about thinking, oh, you know, that line's a little quirky, uh, you know, sitting where it's at. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the last two times as a double-digit seed for Syracuse in the tournament, they went to the Sweet 16 as an 11 seed in 2018, pulled an upset against Michigan State. The zone, they just zoned the Spartans to death in that game. I, I think they kept them in the 50s or whatever. Um, and then all the way back in 20, well, all the way back, only five years ago, but in 2016 as a 10 seed, they got all the way to the Final Four. So I think this is kind of like the new Syracuse where, like you mentioned, and I get it, right? Like, Bayhan's been there forever. They won the national championship with Melo, but like for a while now, Ever since they left the Big East, I feel like we haven't really looked at Syracuse as a team with a lot of expectations, and we haven't really looked at them. I don't know this. I'm just guessing off the top of my head. I feel like in their time in the ACC, this has kind of been where they've sat as far as double-digit seed, on the bubble, yada, yada. And and so I think in some ways, like, this is like a comfortable role for them. And then I do worry, and and granted, uh, just in my kind of monitoring of, of what the rumor mill was swirling, Brian Dutcher is a Minnesota alum. I mentioned Chris Beard with Indiana. That job is open at Minnesota now, and he's a, he was a name that came up. Uh, so I, I don't know what's been going on behind the scenes there. I worried a little bit just about San Diego State's focus here. Having said that, obviously not going to play Syracuse because I do think that San Diego State can make a nice run. I'll certainly be on San Diego State if they get to that matchup against West Virginia come, uh, what's this, a Thursday or Friday game, so Sunday. Uh, but no play for me. Um, but I'm certainly rooting for your play, and I'd love to see uh, the Aztecs win. Either. And real, and real quick before we jump to the next one, you know, you mentioned how Syracuse is kind of in that spot, but I'd argue in those spots, yes, but it was a different ACC then, right? Like this is probably the lowest we've seen in the ACC, and I don't even know how long. So the fact that they're that low within a weak ACC doesn't scare me as much as if this was a normal ACC year where, okay, they're right up there with the Big Ten, Big 12 as far as being competitive top to bottom. And Syracuse, yeah, they're having tough games. That's a good point. Right this is just, again, You're I saying, think like, those, those previous Cuse teams yeah. were probably better than this team because they were just kind of pushed down by a good conference, not by their own. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right, that makes sense. Uh, let's keep things moving, and I want to go to – a patented 5-12 game where you get the two of them here. Um, and I'm going to be backing Winthrop here, plus a 6.5 against Villanova in the last game on Friday night, total of 143. Um, you know, Bill, I know that you kind of, and maybe it's just your Nova fandom, where yanking my chain about this being pretty, uh, you know, square doggy too. Um, and, you know, I get it. Uh, but I look at the way Winthrop finished that Big South Conference tournament. I caught a little bit of that. Like, they won all three games in impressive fashion. The average margin of victory for Winthrop in the Big South Conference tournament, 25.7 points per game, 3-0 and against the spread. And obviously, all these automatic qualifiers are going to come in on some kind of winning streak. But when, when you can get that kind of margin, that's when that is indicating to me that you're ready for the big boys and you got a chance to maybe do something in the big dance as well. Uh, and so that ATS margin uh, for these mid-majors, I like to look at as far as where they're at. Um, and I think a stat that's very telling, by the way, and uh, you mentioned it, we talked a little off the air, it looks like Justin Moore is good for Villanova, but Colin Gillespie is obviously out. Um, the Eagles are 11th in Ken Palm's adjusted tempo metric 
which ranks uh, possessions per 40 minutes. Villanova is 320th. So I think that's definitely kind of an indicator of where this game might go. Uh, Winthrop probably going to want to speed it up. We talk often about such correlation. I probably see a lot given what I just hinted at there with the tempos. Uh, but having said that, um, I, I'm still going to back Winthrop because it's cliche, but I, I like the guards here for Winthrop. They got a trio of them, uh, Chandler Vaudrin, uh, Adonis Arms, and Charles Falden that all average double-digit points per game uh, scorers. So I think they can push the tempo enough to turn this into a little bit of a track meet. Uh, I'm going to be on Winthrop. I don't know that they win the game outright. Uh, I don't know that this is – I also don't know that this is one of Jay's better teams at Villanova. Uh, and I think this says something about the program that, you know, in a bad year – or, you know, not even a bad year, but a, a not-as-good year, they're still a five-seed. Uh, you know, and maybe they get a little revenge on Purdue if they do win this game. Uh, Purdue obviously knocked them out of the tournament two years ago. So um, we'll see. Uh, but I'm going to be on Winthrop. Like I said, I like the guard play. I like the tempo. I like the way Winthrop's playing coming into this game. Uh, and I think the, when I see that kind of margin that they're getting now coming into a game, I, that's the kind of team that I want to back. I think they're ready to make a little bit of a statement here. I think the Eagles are live to get to the Sweet 16 as well. Winthrop plus six and a half for me. Yeah, no play for me. I'll be rooting for my cats. Um, who knows what's going to happen, to be honest. Like, I think the one thing that I would say, though, is if Justin Moore is, you know, around 90% healthy, I think it's going to be a huge factor. Because I, I was saying it from the beginning when Gillespie got hurt that Moore is such a good player, so underrated, and then he goes and gets hurt right away. So I don't think we really saw what Noah was capable of without just Gillespie. Um, and a healthy Moore is going to make it really, really tough for this Winthrop team. So, yeah, I want to stay away. It's a low line. hasn't really moved. hasn't shifted at all. Uh, but you do bring up a good point. You know, the contrasting styles of pace, it always plays a huge part in these games. And I feel like, especially the first-round matchups, the team that plays the quicker pace seems to have a bit of an advantage because I guess it's really just everybody's adrenaline's going so much that, well, that and, it's and easy you think to about fall into that. Playing, it's all, you know, most almost all the time I feel like it's teams that – uh, don't know each other as well, and therefore, if you play a faster tape pace, maybe you just get a few more free buckets mm-hmm. in transition, and that makes life a little easier against a yeah. team that you haven't seen at all. Yep, no, I agree. So let's move forward and go to a seven ten game that I, I may end up tailing you on. Uh, and I saw that you were on this, and I'm definitely intrigued by Rutgers rotation number seven five three taking on Clemson. Rutgers a short one and a half point favorite total. 126. Bill, we just finished talking about how the ACC wasn't as good. I imagine this is just kind of back in the, the Big Ten over the ACC here, but you can certainly take it away. Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. You know, when this when this came out in the uh, selection show, at, at my first instinct was like, oh shit, as a Rutgers guy, I'm like, ah, Clemson's just a tough matchup for them. They play such good defense, and then I went back to actually actually do my work here. Rutgers is a better defensive team than Clemson is. You know, like, Clemson's 20th in the country in defensive adjusted efficiency. Rutgers is 18th, you know. And then offensively, I mean, I would have thought those numbers would have been much more different. You know, Clemson's barely inside the 100, and Rutgers sits at 75th. I know everyone wants to say, oh, it's not a home game for Rutgers. Rutgers plays different from home on the road. But I, I kind of throw that all out this year. It's just been such a funky year with that. There's no fans. There's no real home court advantage in terms of, you know, what the crowd's like behind you. Um, and the one I look back at, too, 
looking at the line being a short line here, I want to see what these teams have done throughout the year. And, you know, Rutgers definitely has an advantage. Two-and-a-half favorite against Indiana, win by 11. Three-and-a-half point favorite against Minnesota, they win by 7. Three-and-a-half point favorite against Indiana, they win by 11. Uh, Three-and-a-half point favorite against Northwestern, win by 8. Four-point favorite against Michigan State, they win by 30. So in recent games where they've been at that number or close to it, they've been super successful, and Clemson on the other side of it is the opposite. They were getting a point-and-a-half against Syracuse. They lost by 10. Uh, they did have a good win against North Carolina by 13, getting two and a half. They're getting five and a half against Duke, they lost by 26. Six and a half Florida State, they lost by 19. One and a half to Virginia, they lost by 35. So, you know, if if we're going back that way and how these lines have shifted or sort of lined up in those games, I mean, Rutgers is very, very comfortable in this spot being a short favorite, whereas Clemson, it seems as though being a short dog, they just don't play up to expectations. So, and again, if Clemson goes into one of their typical cold spells where they're not scoring for almost five minutes, they're going to be in some serious trouble. So I'll be back in the Scarlet Knights here, giving the couple points. I think he's going to end up closing around two. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't you know be a bad idea to take the money line just to get those points out of there? But I'll still be playing the minus. I believe I got it at one and a half earlier this week. Yeah, and I'm going to be with you here, and and I probably will tail it. Um, and so we can make it a consensus on Rutgers. Um, you're right, by the way. The more I, I just thought about that, just in looking at the lines and, 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 and you kind of ran through them, the amount of times where I would kind of see Clemson in this price range, and, and it was just such a wide range of outcomes for them where you never really knew what kind of Clemson team was going to show up. And, you know, in an ACC that wasn't that good, I feel like, even these teams that are in the tournament are part of the reason why is because on a nightly basis, you know, I, I didn't watch a ton of Clemson, but I, I can tell you just by looking at their scores, you know, they have one good game one night and then I'd see their next score and be like, Oh, that's weird. Like, didn't they just beat, you know, Georgia tech or, or Duke or whoever, you know? And, and, and so the lack of consistency there was definitely pretty alarming um, from the Clemson side of things. And, and then, like you said, I mean, uh, you know, Rutgers too. Remember, they were one of those teams. We talked about Dayton. Uh, you know, as far as getting hurt by no tournament and being a number one seed probably last year. Well, Rutgers was going to make the tournament last year, right? I, I think motivationally, it's a tournament. You would think everybody's jacked up, but Rutgers was going to make it last year. And I mean, Bill, I don't know off the top of my head, but I mean, what was the drought for for them? I mean, it was. Oh God! Uh, you know, like it's been a long time, though. Right. You know, so so last year they were obviously primed to get to that tournament, and then and then COVID comes, and I I think that they're probably ready to unleash the dogs a little bit here. So um, I'll, I'll be with you again, like I talked about as we started it. You're going to give me a Big Ten team at this price range against an ACC team, especially yeah. one like uh, like Clemson that was just so up and down. And also, for what it's worth, um, I, I think this is interesting as well. Rutgers is the lower C favored here. Um, yeah. th- that's definitely going to catch my eye as well. I was looking at some 512 history, and I remember uh, Middle Tennessee was a short favorite a few years ago against Minnesota in a 512 game. So, um, definitely something that I like to back there as well. Um, I want to go to another game. Uh, I believe this is also in the evening. Yeah, 625 Eastern Time tip. Um, between Liberty and Oklahoma State. 
Um, we're seeing Oklahoma State laying seven and a half, total of 139. Bill, I don't know if you heard if about, uh, did you hear about uh, the new promotion going on at uh, Gatorade? And, and Powerade jumped in on it too. Um, they're renaming all their orange-colored Gatorades, Kate Cunningham Kool-Aid. And oh. everybody's buying it. And everybody's oh. drinking the Kate Cunningham Kool-Aid. And I haven't <laughs> seen that. Where did you see that? I haven't seen it. Wow. Um, I'm joking, by the way. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> you know, the way you reacted, I thought. Honestly, at first, I was like, you got to be kidding me. It's and then yeah, I, and you it's the yeah, Name, yeah. image, and likeness not being monetized. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but now it's just something that I, you know, I saw this line tick down a little, and I figured, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be on Liberty here. Uh, Liberty, major program that made the tournament back in 2019, the last time they had it, uh, and actually won a game in the tournament. Richie McKay, the coach there at Liberty, has been there for quite a while now, as this is his, um, counting them now, sixth season. Uh, with the Flames, um, and you know they, they've obviously last year they were going to make it again. Uh, they were thirty and four overall um, before COVID, uh, and so uh, I, I first off I, I just think when it comes to mid majors, they're probably one that maybe doesn't get enough love uh, on the rise as far as uh, mid majors that look to be regularly. You know, like I said, McKay's been there. This is his sixth season, and it looks like he's, he's building something pretty. Uh, you know. Sustainable there was the word I'm looking for. I'm also getting the better free throw shooting team here, which is what we talk about with these dogs. Oklahoma State, a percentage of 71.3 for the season. Liberty all the way up close to 80%. 20th in the nation when it comes to shooting free throws. And, oh, by the way, Liberty, when it comes to offensive efficiency, they're right there with Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State at 56th in the nation on offensive efficiency. Liberty at 54th. Uh, and again, I mentioned the line kind of ticking down a little bit. I'm getting it in at seven and a half. And I know everybody and their mother, like I said, they're all buying the Kate Cunningham Kool-Aid. And so you best believe I'm going to look to fade Oklahoma State in this first game. They've been red hot, playing in the Big 12, got to the Big 12 championship. Now here they are playing Liberty. Yeah, I'm going to be on the Flames. Give me Liberty or give me death plus seven and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah, Man, how can I not go and tell you with that? Yeah, I'm I'm with you on it, and I and I hate to say it because in one of or at least a couple of my 500 brackets that I filled out, I do believe I had Oklahoma State in the Final Four in a couple of them. Um, I was definitely drinking that Kool Aid all tournament long <laughs> in the conference tournament. Uh, I know I think I tried to talk you out of one or. Something like that, or somebody else. Maybe I was trying to talk well, out. I mean, I was kicking myself, and this is this is my point. I was kicking myself for not picking Texas in the Big Twelve Championship because Oklahoma State had to been the squarest of dogs last yeah. weekend on yeah. that final. So I think it's going to be the same thing here, where everybody's just popping on, you know, betting college basketball for the first time all year, and they're going to bet this kid who's going to be the lock to be the number one pick. Right, exactly. And look at this takedown. Like you said, two full points. You're seeing uh, public percentage a little bit higher on uh, in terms of tickets on Oklahoma State, but uh, the money is all on Liberty. Almost 75% of the money is with them. It seems to be sharp money when I look at it that way. So I'll, I'm probably going to be backing them with you. Uh, we can probably make it a consensus play. I'll take them plus the 7.5. Hopefully they don't go out and win the game outright and bust you know a quarter of my brackets up. But... Uh, <laughs> Seven points is a lot, and I don't think Oklahoma State's going to cover that one. Yeah, I'm with you. 
So there we go, uh, back-to-back, uh, kind of uh, talk the other guy into it, and then a consensus play that we didn't have uh, drummed up at the beginning of the pod. We will be getting to a consensus in just a minute, but before we do that, um, this should be a fun game uh, between a couple of uh, previous national runner or uh, national championship finalists, Wisconsin getting there in 2015, and North Carolina uh, winning the national championship in 2017. By the way, we talked about memorable March Madness moments. That 17 national championship was one to forget as the Tar Heels, a year after losing to Villanova, uh, exercised the Demons in a very ugly national championship over Gonzaga. But you're going to fade them here, Bill. Um, and, and this is an interesting one for me. I, I, I don't think I could touch a side here with a 10-foot pole, but you're always constant plus one and the hook, at least what it looked like, what it looks like right now. Yeah, look, I backed North Carolina a ton all year. I felt like, and um, you know, the, the typical comment that I would make is they're the best offensive rebounding team in the country. Their best offensive play is a missed shot. Uh, Wisconsin is just a really bad matchup for them. I think Wisconsin's a team that, like, you're not gonna out hustle them. You're not going to outwork them. You're not going to get the loose balls. They don't turn the ball over. They're second in the country in turnover percentage. Um, and they do a decent job of keeping teams off the offensive glass. And, look, and I will give the credit to Luca Garza, who just destroyed them inside like I thought he would. But as big as North Carolina is, none of their guys are Garza. You know, like none of them are that skilled inside. Uh, they might win the offensive rebounding stats in this one and, and get more shots, but at the end of the day, I just don't think Wisconsin's going to allow this game to slip away. I always fade Roy Williams come tournament time, uh, and I'm going to be doing it here. I think the better coaches with Wisconsin here, more time to prepare for them. They're going to slow this game down. They're not going to let them hit the offensive glass like they want to. It's probably going to come down to free throws, and when you look at the free throw percentages here, my goodness, you can't see more of an opposite. Wisconsin 28th in the country at 77. Doesn't Wisconsin always make their free throws? Yeah, and then you get UNC who's shooting sub 60, 67%. They're 295th in the country. So, you know, a, a close game like this where it's likely going to come down to free throws, yeah, I'll be taking a team that's more comfortable with the line than the opposite. So Badgers getting the points, probably going to be taking the money line just to get the positive on there. So go Badgers. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to have much here. Uh, I mean, obviously, this is, I, I don't want to say a step up in competition for Wisconsin because they're probably, you know, right on the same wavelength with the Tar Heels this year. But I, I also, like you, Bill, kind of found myself, and, and we talked about it last week on our conference breakdowns, I kind of found myself hopping on the Tar Heels at various times, thought they might be live to make a little bit of a run in the ACC, ACC tournament, and, and they did get to the semifinal, and they gave Florida State a pretty good game. So um, the fact that they didn't get to that championship game, you know, I, part of me still, a lot of the pro North Carolina stuff, let's talk about, like you said, they hit the glass really well. Uh, Brooks is obviously a stud for them inside. Um, and, and, and getting back to Wisconsin, like I said, this isn't necessarily a step up in competition for them, but they really, we talked about it, they really struggled when they did have to face those top-tier Big Ten teams, and I, I don't know, like, I just, I don't know that this is a Wisconsin team that I can trust as much as I can in the past, hence why they're a, a nine seed, I, I think just the talent, like, I, this is going to sound square, I think North Carolina is probably just a better team, but it's been a problem of consistency for them, and um, yeah, I, 
I'll be curious to see who wins this game because, um, you know, they're in, what's this, the Baylor bracket, right? Yeah, so I'd be interested to see, obviously, uh, put Baylor through all the way to the regional final in the south half, but um, or the south bracket, but um, I'm just curious, like, are you, are you since you're on Wisconsin here, like, could you see them giving Baylor any trouble or not really? Um, probably not. Uh, I, again, I just think this is a bad matchup for Carolina. Like you said, sure for Carolina. Yeah. pre-selection Sunday, I was like, I'm really curious to see where North Carolina gets slated That's here. That's what I'm saying. And then I, saw, those teams and I like, saw the line, and I'm like, oh, I can't play North Carolina. Yeah, and I think that that's the toughest thing. When you get put into an 8-9 spot, it, it's so brutal. Because if you were just able to get a couple more wins and get into that 7 spot, to me it's just like it's such a better spot to be You're in. You're playing that. a worse team in the first game and a worse team in the second game. Of yeah, I'd rather, be, I'd rather be a 10 seed than 8-9, honestly. Right. You know, right. and I just yeah. think it's a tough spot for them. You're all the way down to the other half of the bracket. Yeah. Right. Let's move on and go to these Saturday games now where uh, we have another consensus play coming in a 5-12 game, and it's UC Santa Barbara taking on the Creighton Blue Jays. Uh, looks like we're seeing Creighton laying 7.5, total in this game of 138. Um, you know, and Bill, I'll start, uh, mentioned some of the Winthrop guards. Uh, Ja'Cory McLaughlin for UC Santa Barbara just won the Big West Player of the Year, and ironically enough, I put you on the spot there with that trivia question as far as the National Player of the Year and the National uh, Coach of the Year in the same season. Well, uh, UC Santa Barbara has the Big West Player of the Year in Ja'Cory McLaughlin and the Big West Coach of the Year um, in Joe Pasternak. So, uh, you know, just something I found to be kind of interesting there. Um, And, you know, I, I think, too, when I looked at uh, first off, by the way, there's a kid with an ankle injury, Jari Sani, who's another good outside shooter. Uh, so I'll be monitoring his status. But uh, him and McLaughlin can both really light it up from downtown. And so I think anytime you get good shooting, that's going to be uh, something that's going to, you know, make, you know, talk to me a little bit as a mid major double digit seed. Um, and uh, the McLaughlin. Average 16 points per game, 49% from the field, 40% from the three-point line. Um, and then, I'll be honest, like, yeah, maybe I'm guilty of some recency bias here, but Creighton, like, eh, you know, UConn, like, that semifinal, like, really could have gone either way. And, and obviously we saw what happened against Georgetown in the Big East Championship game. So point I'm trying to make here, like, is that the kind of team? Like, I just don't know – Creighton right now, I want to give this many points with, um, you know, kind of a weird season for them with all the stuff going on with McDermott and, and his reinstatement. Yeah, I mean, they're still a five seed, and yeah, maybe do I worry that this is a little trendy, I suppose, but you're going to give me, like I said, the Big West Player of the Year, Ja'Cory McLaughlin, in late game situations, uh, I'm going to think that Santa Barbara is going to shoot better from the three-point line here. And I'm going to trust Santa Barbara uh, to play with a little house money here and have a chance to win this game. So I'm going to definitely max a seven and a half. And uh, I'm going to, I think the money line is worth a look here as well. Curious why you like Santa Barbara. By the way, they're called the Gauchos. That might yeah. be enough to pick them by itself. They got but. A, yeah, they got an awesome, uh, awesome logo, the Gauchos. Uh, look, you, you said a lot of things that I wanted to say. I'll keep it simple. 
According to Ken Palm, they have the nicest rating. I don't know if you saw that. They are 69th in the country, according to Ken Palm. So, I mean, how do you not pick them for that reason? Uh, yeah, I, I, this is very similar um, for me with my handicap in the first game that I talked about where, you know, you're getting points, you're getting a decent amount of them. you got a team that can really shoot the ball. Late in the game, they're down 10, 12, 14, all of a sudden two shots, boom, they're right back in it as far as the number. Uh, Creighton is a good offensive team, 14th in the country. They're a decent defensive team. Um, you know, to me, I feel like Creighton would want to play a game where they're getting up and down the floor, scoring a lot of points, and that's kind of going into uh, UC Santa Barbara's style as well. So it doesn't really affect them if, if they do do that. Uh, and the, the total is really not that big. I think it's like 133 or 134 or something like that. So, you know, they, I don't think Creighton's going to be able to get up and down and score like they want to. So, that doesn't worry me much. Again, underdog free throw percentage is big for me. They shoot 76% from the foul line. Creighton's abysmal. 329th in the country from the free throw line, so forget that. Um, yeah, I'll be back in the gauchos here with you as well. I gave it up pretty early. I forget exactly what my number was, but I know I also took um, – I got them, I got them at seven. And I also did take them uh, small on the money line, plus 230. I do like them to win outright in this one. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to be playing the money line. I got it at plus 257. Let's move on and go to another 5-12 game here with the Colorado Buffaloes. I'm interested in them as the second game of the – or first game in the NCAA window. I'm looking at the rotation. We got NIT games going on this weekend too at 12 noon Dayton and Memphis tip on Saturday in the NIT. But the first NCAA game on Saturday features the Georgetown Hoyas taking on the Colorado Buffaloes. We're seeing Colorado laying six – Total in this game of 138, and I'm going to be on the buffs here. Um, I, this is just a situational play that I couldn't say no to. Uh, first off, I, I, I just think we just talked about the uh, championship game for Georgetown against Big against Creighton. I, I mean, how can you not think letdown spot here for Georgetown? I mean, this is a team in. By the way, I'm not going to be on Tennessee and the other 512, but I definitely lean that way because they're playing Oregon State, who is the other bid stealer. And, yeah, you could certainly make the case that some of these bid stealers are house money and, and they could keep rolling. I tend to look at that more for the mid-major auto teams like UC Santa Barbara and, and Winthrop. So when it comes to, you know, these, you know, biggie, you know, the, the, the true bid stealer auto teams – I just think there's probably like a coming down to earth moment is sooner rather than later for these teams. And that's kind of what I feel with Georgetown here. Like I, I, first of all, Colorado was on the fringe of the top 25 most of the year, right? Like if this game was played a month ago on a neutral court, I'm willing to wager that the line's going to be bigger than six, you know, no, so double date is easy, easily. Exactly. So, uh, you know, and, and so, I think it's a letdown spot for Georgetown just on the fact that, like, if they lose this game, nobody's going to be like, oh, Georgetown should have beaten Colorado. Everybody's going to say, all right, Ewing got to the tournament for the first time, and I believe this is his fourth season at his alma mater. Granted, he needed to win the conference tournament. Otherwise, he wasn't going to go, but he's there. It sounds like they got a good recruiting class coming in down there in the nation's capital. And if you're a Georgetown fan, I think you've got a lot of things to be excited about. And so that's the first thing. Then I look at Colorado, and they were on the other end of this in the Pac-12. Oregon State was the team that caught them in that Pac-12 title game and stole a bid. But it wasn't that long ago, and I think we talked about this 
on our pod, I think it was Prez, when he was our guest at Dead President Picks, um, who said that he kind of liked USC uh, to make a little bit of a run yeah. as, a, as a six seed to get to the Sweet 16, USC potentially playing Kansas uh, in uh, a round of 32 game. Well, Colorado took USC out of the Pac-12 tournament. Like, I think this is a good enough team to at least beat Georgetown by double figures, and they're coming off of a Pac-12 championship loss outright as an eight-and-a-half-point favorite that gifted Oregon State a bid into the field. Yeah, I, I like the situational spot here for Colorado. I'll lay the six. Georgetown, a little bit of a letdown. Colorado rises up and plays like the team that was on the fringe of the top 25 most of the year. I'll give the, I'll take the Buffaloes minus the six. Yeah, I'm not going to have a play on it. Uh, I do like your analysis when it comes to it. If I had to pick a side, I'd be with you. Um, I got a feeling Georgetown's happy with one of the one of the Big East Conference tournament. You know, Ewing, I think was his seat was pretty damn hot coming right, into that exactly. conference tournament. So it's got to feel like maybe you know they got what they needed to get done and they're happy with it coming into a game like you said against Buffalo. And I doubt that many kids from Georgetown. Are, what's that? I say Colorado, the Buffaloes. <laughs> yeah, Colorado. Sorry, I don't know what I said. Uh, I got a feeling a lot of the kids in Georgetown don't really pay too much of attention to the Pac-12 out there. And like you say, this this Colorado team is no joke. So, yeah, if I'm back in a side, I'm back in Colorado, but I'll be staying away from here. We're going to get into a couple of two fifteen games now as we hit the home stretch here. Uh, Bill, you're going to look to Grand Canyon, a big dog against Iowa, plus the 14-and-a-half it looks like in a Friday night game, 625 Eastern tip. Uh, what are you seeing here? I know you were a little concerned about that matchup with potentially Oregon for Iowa. You, you just kind of not feeling the Hawkeyes altogether here? Uh, yeah. I think I've like <laughs> not really trusted them at all all year. Yeah. Like, when you look at them on paper, to me at least. By the way, only a total of only 145.5 here, which for an Iowa game feels low. Yeah, and – like, but on paper, this team, they, there's no doubt they should be at least in the Final Four. You have the National Player of the Year, the big guy inside. you got shooters all around the perimeter. Right. Like, what what are they really missing? So, what I'm well, looking they're, at... They're a two-seed. Yeah, but again, these kind of, at least to me, it's like they've been up and down. Um, and I got a feeling that... Luca Garza, granted, he's going to have a big target on his back anyway just because of who he is and what he's accomplished. He, there are two big dudes on this Grand Canyon team. You know, this Asbjorn Midgard, seven-footer. Dude is no joke. And then they got a 6'10 kid in Alessandro Lever. Like, they're going to be banging with Garza the entire game inside. If they can't shoot the ball well from deep, which – my, oh, my, Grand Canyon is 15th in the country in defending the three. You're going to see some trouble, I think, from this Iowa offense, and we all know the struggles that they've had defensively. So I, I like Grand Canyon to stay in this one. Did you know, I mean, do you know the coaches of Grand Canyon? I do not. <laughs> oh, how do you not know? They missed a prime opportunity. There's two prime opportunities by the committee they blew. One was they should have Appalachian State should be an overplay mission. Oh, I just looked Bryce, it up. Oh, crap. Bryce Drew. Wow. Bryce Drew. Right. And you could have had him. Oh, I could have played his brother. Exactly. Missed an opportunity there. But Grand Canyon, I've liked them since the former coach was there, Mr. Dan Marley, Thunder Dan. The Lopes, 
getting the points. I think this is going to be one of those games where people are going to be sweating it out at the end, that their brackets are might, might they may be getting busted because I got a feeling they're going to take, What's that? No, I'm not going to be sprinkling it. Nope, 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 nope. I don't even want to think about it. Uh, but I, I do have a feeling this is going to be one where people are going to be really sweating out their brackets uh, come late. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't get there with this. I, I won't be on a side. I, I think I, I do, even though they are a two seed, and, and, and yeah, like here they are, like they made the Big Ten semifinals. I do kind of hear what you're saying about Iowa not giving us a whole lot of stuff to buy, you know, and it, it kind of felt like throughout the year, like it always kind of felt like they were the fourth wheel in that Big Ten tier atop the league with – Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, and Ohio State. And that's but crazy. It that's didn't look like they were catching... preseason. Michigan and Ohio State were not even in that conversation preseason. No doubt. Absolutely. That's what's no, so you're crazy. Right. But, but, but then, like, at the end of the season, Ohio State was there, and Iowa goes to Columbus and pretty much wire-to-wire, wire, like, on the road, plays a really good game. So I think there's a there there with Iowa, right? But it's just a matter of when are they – putting it all together and looking like that national championship contender team because they've lost at Minnesota. You know, they've obviously, you know, prior to that Ohio State road win, they lost at home to Ohio State in the first meeting. So there were different times where Iowa did, I agree with you, kind of look a little commonplace. And and it definitely is a little weird given they have, you know, shooters all around Garza and, and he's the best player in the country. So, I, I hear what you're saying, um, but I, I just, gosh, I don't know. For this game, this does feel like the one where they could just shoot the lights out. Like, I, I feel like a lot of their letdown spots or kind of, you know, underachieving spots came in, in big-time conference games, I, I, you know, against a team like Grand Canyon where they could just unleash. That feels like the spot where they just make it rain from the three-point line. Again, I'm not going to play Iowa here because I do kind of – hear what you're saying enough to stay away, um, but I don't think I can get there with Grand Canyon. All right. So, but hey. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, though. If I'm right, if I'm right in the fact that, you know, they struggle in this game and it gets really tight, I would back Iowa in a heartbeat in the next round. You're saying if they win by, like, five or something. Yeah, yeah, I would back them in a heartbeat. Back them against Oregon. Interesting, yeah, or VCU. Right, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and I'd like to see Iowa make a run because – it's good for college basketball if the best players in the country are at least into the second weekend, regional finals, final fours, things like that. Um, speaking of good for college basketball, I'm very intrigued by this 215 game down in the uh, East region where we have uh, the Iona Gales and the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I'm going to be backing Iona plus a 16 and a half. Um, I already kind of hinted at it with the Arkansas stuff that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Um, I These teams that, you know, and, and, and to a lesser degree, Oklahoma State uh, and why I like fading them, and I'm going to fade Alabama here. These teams where, yeah, you know, you probably, they, they're really good, but you didn't expect them to be that good. And they kind of overachieve. And Alabama, I think, took a lot of people by surprise, obviously, with how good they were. I'm sure a lot of people maybe had them in the NCAA tournament coming into the beginning of the year. But, being consistently in the top 10 and blowing teams out in the SEC, I think probably surprised a lot of people. And so I do think there's a little bit of a fat and happy element here with Alabama. 
having won the SEC tournament, obviously things got pretty hostile there at the end of that game with LSU and Nate Oates cursing at LSU. And, you know, it was a crazy game. and It was the third time that they beat beaten LSU. Um, it just feels like they could come a little flat here. And, again, it's an Alabama team that certainly had no problem getting margin in these games, right? So I guess if they covered, it wouldn't be the, you know, some people it wouldn't be surprising. But, you know, I'm looking at Iona, and I'm kind of treating them the same way that I was treating Winthrop, where I looked at their success against the spread in the conference tournament in the NAAC, and obviously they drew the nine seed because they had a bunch of COVID problems, and they beat Siena in a game that me and you were both on in their quarterfinal, and that obviously opened it up for them to get to the field. And I'll buy the Patino narrative a little bit here, fifth school that he's taken to the dance. Um, And I just think the mental toughness of this group for Iona has to be really high right now. And that certainly Alabama isn't somebody that they're coming in, uh, you know, backing down from at all. They had two really long COVID pauses, one from uh, December 23rd all the way into the middle of February. Then they played for a week and they had another one from the middle of February all the way until their conference tournament. And yet here they are still in the field. Like, I, I just think that's probably a real confident locker room. And, you know, I get it, like. Alabama was so impressive at times this year, uh, but running through everybody the way they did, now playing Iona, like, I just don't know that they get up for this game enough. So I am going to play Iona plus the points. I think they're able to cover here. And just for a little fun, I did go ahead and put $10 on the Iona money line just because if we're all talking about Rick Pitino, if that's the big story of the first round, I want to be able to profit a little more off it. So I, I do think Iona can keep this within the number, though. Hey, best of luck to you. I'm not going to have a play on there. But, yeah, I guess back in Patino in a tournament, as a big Well, dog. that's the other thing. Like, if this game happens to be close, and that was also, I should have mentioned it, part of the reason why I did kind of want it to sprinkle a little, because I said, all right, I know this is a big spread, and they could still lose by double digits and cover. But, gosh, you give me, you know, you don't think Patino here? I mean, guys, everything that Nate Oates and, and Alabama, and particularly Oates, like, he's like this rising coaching star, right? Like, yeah. he's, he, you're hearing him for Indiana a little bit, too, with that job opening. Um, I, I think Patino probably, in a late-game situation, would love nothing more than to outcoach him down the stretch. So that would be another story that I'd be very eager to follow. I really hope this game's close just for that mindset alone in the chess match that we might get. This is a four o'clock Eastern tip on uh, Saturday. So yeah, I have I have nothing. Best of luck to you. I just want to say real quick though, one thing we do talk about all the time, overtime is where dogs go to die, but not tonight, Greg. That's right. Yeah, UCLA gets to the window, gets us both to the window there. Um I had them on the money line at the uh plus price uh for me. So that felt good. I won both my college basketball bets today. So hopefully that's a sign of things to come. Let's move on, Bill and go to a game that I really have nothing on, but you're on the Ohio Bobcats catching the touchdown uh, for a football reference. It looks like they're getting seven against Virginia, total of 130.5. Go, go, go. Hey, football reference, you knew the quarterback used to be of Ohio a couple years ago? Mickey Tettleton's son. You know who Mickey Tettleton was? Uh, I don't know Mickey Tettleton, so I sure don't know his son. Oh, Mickey Tettleton used to play for the Tigers, Detroit Tigers, baseball player. Oh, yeah, yes, I'm a big baseball guy, wow. Yes, yes. So 
that's not the reason why I'm back in Ohio here. I think everybody kind of knows why I'm on Ohio. Virginia being dealing with the COVID, everything's kind of up in the air. I don't know. They even have a practice. I think at last I read they might have a shoot-around prior. Um, I don't like any of that going into the tournament here with all, like, all the stuff that's around them. Ohio's not having that issue. They're coming to the tournament, you know, ready to go. Uh, and they're not that big of a team. When you look at them as, as far as Ken Palm uh, statistics go, you know, they're 79th overall, but they're 29th in the country in offensive efficiency. Uh, they shoot the ball well from deep. They're 56th in the country from three. They shoot free throws well. They're 70%. Virginia, to me, like, has been so super up and down. I was beyond high. Like, they were my pre I believe they were my preseason pick to win the national championship to go back-to-back, as weird as that is, with a year between that it happened. But I talked about it in the preseason pod. Like, they're such a good defensive team all the time, and now you're bringing in Hauser, who gives them this huge threat on offense. I mean, when's the last time you saw a Virginia offense 12th in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency? That's just yeah, yeah. crazy to think of it that way. Um, but I just don't like what's going on with all this COVID stuff. Um, the fact that you know, I don't even know like who who who's ready to go, who's not ready to go. I got a feeling they're just going to come out way too disjointed. Again, Ohio's a team that can put the ball in the basket. They're going to be able to put up points, uh, and the team that's going to be disjointed, I don't want any parts of. So this is more of a fate on Virginia than anything. Uh, it's not going to be a big play for me at all, but I do like the Bobcats in this one. Well, and, right, and that's the thing. Like, I, I just don't have anything here because of the COVID situation. Mm-hmm. I obviously don't know a whole lot about Ohio. Um, but, you know, with the Virginia thing, I, I think that naturally that gets interpreted as a negative, right? And I've certainly seen plenty of people, uh, you know, all, uh, of all the 13s, I feel like, I mean, I actually kind of think North Texas might have a shot against uh, Purdue, but I feel like a lot of people are uh, rushing to, and I gave out Liberty, by the way, as a uh, 13, but... Ohio has certainly been the one that I've heard talked about the most this week. Just, you know, you flip on one of the networks for all of, you know, 10 minutes of, uh, you know, March Madness talk, and Iowa, or excuse me, Ohio has seemingly been the one because of this COVID stuff. And again, I think it just naturally gets interpreted as a negative a lot. Um, But I don't know, like, not knowing doesn't always mean it's bad. You know, I, I, I think that, you know, Virginia mentioned earlier talking about Q's, like, Virginia went right down to the wire with them, and, and they pulled the game out, and it looked like, I mean, they were going to be a, a, a you know, six, seven-point favorite probably against Georgia Tech in that semifinal, and they were going to get a chance to go back to the ACC Conference Championship game, and you know, they are the defending champs still for what it's worth. So I, I could not get there as far as stepping in front of them here. Um, I do think one thing I wanted to experiment with, Bill, and I've never done this before, mm-hmm. um, but I wanted to take my favorite double-digit seed to make the Sweet 16 and do a money line rollover for a unit. So, like, I mentioned I'm playing Santa Barbara on the money line. I think I'm probably going to do that with them if they do win and then just roll it over to the UC Santa Barbara money line the second game. So, from that aspect, I'm almost hoping Virginia wins just because I want to get that good price again with Santa Barbara. Um, but, you know, so I, in other words, like, I did – put Santa Barbara through to the Sweet 16 in my bracket. I didn't want to get too crazy with Virginia, but in my bracket I did take Virginia in this game uh, just because I, I, I'm not sure that it's as easy of a layup as some people kind of treat the COVID situation with Virginia. Listen, if we're that bad, like, 
we, it, they might not be in the tournament. We might need a COVID replacement team. I, so I don't know what's going on either, but because I don't know, that's why I have to pass. Is well, I, and real quick before we move on, the only reason that I think it's a, that I'm playing it because it's, it's unknown. If this was like, okay, cut and drive, Virginia lost, you know, blank player. And it could be a starter, it could be a role player, whatever. I think when you at least know, and then you can prepare and deal with it, that's different than where they've been with, like, I don't know, are you are we even going to be able to play in the tournament? Like, there's just too many unknowns with them for their own team, where, again, if this is like a case of, okay, one guy's out, no big – I mean, it's a big deal, but then you go and prepare. I mean, Tony Bennett's a good enough coach that if he knows what he's dealing with, he's going to be able to prepare. When you don't know, it's impossible to prepare. So, yeah, that, that, again, that's my bigger fate on Virginia than anything. I'm going to move on, and I'll be very brief here. Obviously, I don't have a ton on the game, but uh, one of the latter games on Saturday, the second-to-last tip-off features Abilene Christian and Texas. I'm going to be on Abilene Christian here, getting eight points total in this game of 139.5. I certainly don't hope they win the game outright because in my bracket, I did take Texas to get all the way to the Final Four. Mentioned that I'm not very high on Alabama down as the two seed in this bracket so I did think it could open up um, and, and then I, I don't love Michigan when it comes to the one seeds right now so I think this is the bracket that could get a little drunk and I'm not even saying it's going to get crazy drunk thinking Texas could win the region but I do think uh, this could be a little bit of a flat spot for the Longhorns right I mean you're you just won the the big 12 conference championship uh, big profile coach in Shaka Smart there's a you know, obviously just a big school too in Texas there's a lot of love going around right now for the Longhorns, and rightfully so. They're all the way up to the three-seed line. Um, and, and so, you know, it might almost look too easy to give eight points against Abilene Christian. Uh, but something tells me that, again, this is almost exclusively a fade of the Longhorns. I think they could be flat enough here where this is one where, you know, people look at the score afterwards and think, oh, my God, you know, what the hell was going on with Texas, right? And, and, and why did I think they were so good? You know, people that are kind of just hopping in right now on uh, the, uh, the tournament. Abilene Christian, by the way, for what it's worth, 21st in the nation in three-point shooting. As a team, they shoot 37.7 from the three-point line. Um, but again, almost the whole way here, I'm just going to kind of think Texas comes in a little flat. And if they come in and roll, then I'll live with it. It's a nice, easy win for a team I put in the final four in my bracket. But that's kind of the handicap on this one. Yeah, I hope you're wrong if you're playing money line, which I know you're not. So I'm, I'm big on Texas in this this whole tournament. So no play for me. It is a kind of an odd number, but no play for me on this. Well, one. that's Best the thing too. Like it, it given what, and by the way, one last thing: Abilene Christian, 32nd in the nation in defensive efficiency, to Texas is 36th. So anytime I can get that kind of matchup where one side of the ball matches up relatively even, that is kind of the case, too, with my Liberty offensive efficiency compared to Oklahoma State's. If I can get one side of the ball pretty much even and I can get over, you know, three, or, you know, two, over two possessions here, getting eight points, I'm going to do it. Uh, so I'll take Abilene Christian in what I think might be a flat spot for the Longhorns. Let's wrap things up with an 8-9 game, a little crossfire action to end the pod uh, as we have the LSU Tigers at a 145 Eastern Saturday tip against the St. Bonaventure, uh, what are they called? I don't know why I should know this. Um, the St. Bonaventure Bonnies, right? Uh, that's why. Uh, you kind of call them <laughs> the Bonnies. The right? that, that's the name, yeah. Wow, St. Saint, 
St. Bonaventure Bonnie, say that five times fast. St. Bonaventure Bonnie, St. Bonnie, yeah, I can't do it. Um, anyway, uh, I'll let you start here, Bill. You're going to be on LSU, and I like the Bonnies, but I'll let you start with the Tigers. Oh, man, I don't have too, too much with this. So. <laughs> Look, LSU has been so up and down this year. Like, they're a team that could make a possible deep run in this, honestly, especially the fact they have Michigan next, arguably the lowest one seed. Um, I just don't I don't know that much about the Bonnies to, to back them. I know I do know they bring everybody back. They have a really good core. So hopefully they have a nice run next year. But this year, I don't know. I mean, this LSU team, they can put up points uh, with anybody in the country. Uh, the Bonnies, I don't think they play the world's best defense. They're the 18th in the country, but LSU being the fifth offensive team in the country is super dangerous, especially in a game like this. Um, they're not that great on the on the defensive end, but they're the type of team where they're, they're just going to score you to death. They're just going to keep putting points up on the board and, and not allow you to catch them, even though they don't play the great the greatest defense. Total 144.5, not that great. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it's mostly a coin flip. I think more so in my own head, I'm back in LSU here because I do believe that if any team of these two is going to make a run, it's going to be them. I think if Bonaventure does win, I think Michigan handles them. I think if LSU wow. wins, LSU can get through get through Michigan. So I'm just back in the Tigers. I'm backing them small here. You know, I, I disagree as far as the team making a run. I think the Bonnies were the best team in the A-10. They showed in the A-10 tournament. The A-10 I think they have stinks. a chance here. Excuse me? <laughs> the A-10 stinks. I'm kidding. Uh, okay, that's fine. But, again, like I always like to talk about with these mid-majors, mentioned it a few times with Winthrop having success against the number, ditto for I- Iona, and it's the same thing here. They go 3-0 and against the spread as well, and they win one of those games, their semifinal, as a short underdog against St. Louis. They win by 18. I know you're going to say the conference stinks, but when you win by 16 against Duquesne, 18 against St. Louis, and then by 9 against VCU, who's also in the tournament, you're doing something right. So I, I think, first off, as you said, they're bringing everybody back. Um, I, I think they're getting a little overlooked here because of how bad the conference was. 39th in the nation in offensive efficiency, 18th in the nation in defensive efficiency, 29, 25th overall in the Ken Palm ratings. Ken Palm's got the Bonnies rated higher than uh, LSU, who comes in at 29th overall in the Ken Palm ratings. So I think the Bonnies flat out are a little bit better, and we're going to see that despite the fact that they're in the far inferior league. And then, as you said, LSU, I don't want to trust them at all here. I mean, they've been up, down, up, down. You look at just their league games. Uh, going all the way back to January 2nd when they started. They lose a tight game against Florida. Then they all of a sudden they win four in a row. That was their longest winning or losing streak of SEC play because you could, just when it looked like after that four-game win streak, then they lose by 30 to Alabama. They lose by 13 at Kentucky. Kentucky was garbage this year. This is what LSU was all year long. Nothing changed. They started to get hot at the end of the regular season and into the conference tournament, covering all three games and nearly pulling off the outright upset against Alabama in the conference championship game. But that's exactly why they're coming back down to earth here. As I said, Bonnies are undervalued here. LSU is coming back down to earth. This is one of my favorite plays, actually. I'm maxing the Bonnies. And don't be surprised if they give Michigan a run as well. Bonnies plus one and a half to get to the round of 32. Have we ever had a flip or a, a crossfire before? Because, man... You're terrifying me on this. I might have to flip over to the body. Coming in hot and heavy here. <laughs> Man, honestly, I don't know. 
We shall see. I'll make up my mind early tomorrow morning. We'll see what happens. I'm telling you, man. LSU, I just when it looks like you can trust him, you can't. So it's, it's anyway. true. But you know, you you mentioned A10, and I, you know, I was you know a little tongue in cheek saying you know, they stink. It's not a great conference, but you know, do you remember when Xavier was in A10, and I felt like they made yeah. a run like every year. They did, yeah. You know, and like maybe that's the spot of it. I got a buddy out here who's uh, you know who's from Arizona. And he's a huge Wildcat fan. And anytime I bring up that game in the Sweet 16, Arizona was a two seed. Xavier was an 11. It was yeah. a Sweet 16 game. And Arizona, Miller just got his ass out coached down the stretch. Mack was still at Xavier. And Xavier came back from like a 15-point second-half deficit or something and came back to win the game. Uh, and he just cringes anytime that game comes up because that was a big-time choke by the Wildcats. Xavier got to the final, the Elite Eight, and then I believe it was Gonzaga in the regional final that they lost to. That was the year that uh, Gonzaga then beat South Carolina in the regional or the national semifinal and lost to North Carolina in the title game. But you're right. I, I felt that too. Where And I don't even know. Xavier then, I guess, would have been in the Big East. But getting back to your point, like when Miller was at Xavier, you know, and even in the early days with Mac, it did feel like. They would make a run, and, and they talked about Dayton last year, obviously having the year that they had in the A-10. I just think, yeah, I know the league isn't that good, but I, we've seen some teams here in the conference. Rhode Island was pretty good there with Danny Hurley when he was the coach. So, um, you know, I, I just because the conference sucks doesn't mean that the team that wins the league is bad. So, yeah, I'm going to be riding the Bonnies. Best of luck. Any last, I was Best waiting for you to jump in. Uh, any Best last words? I don't know. I keep in my head. I'm up back and forth. In my breath. <laughs> All righty. There he is, Bill Christie, Lucha Larry on Gambling Twitter, at Larry's Locks 2. I'm Greg Frank. Follow me for all my picks, at Undercover Greg. You got to listen to the podcast, though. I don't I give out free picks, uh, except when we do these podcasts and give the podcast a follow as well, at full underscore slate underscore pod. Bill, a lot of fun. Let's enjoy the best two days in sports, the first two days of March Madness. There's nothing better. Not at all. I will not be able to sleep tonight. Christmas morning. Christmas morning, indeed. Again, this has been Full Slate. Everyone, enjoy your weekends. Enjoy all the hoops. And, of course, please play responsibly. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.